Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling, award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy to listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Today, we're going to have another big rat-a-tat-tat because, believe it or not, the volume of news is increasing, particularly as Democratic Marxists try and raise issues and matters to distract from the Durham report, which came out. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. And the investigations into the Biden corruption and treason. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. We're going to talk very briefly about the history of immigration and, of course, the rest of the story, because that is a big deal right now. In fact, in many ways, the fate and the values of this country rest on what is done or not done, or shall we say purposely not done. And we're going to go over a few parameters of how we could get this divorce done. You know, the red states remain the United States of America and the blue states go away or vice versa. It really doesn't matter. In the course of these stories, I want you to think about Very seriously, if you want to fight all these fights on so many fronts with corrupt government agencies, unequal application of the law, breach of constitutional prerequisites, attack on the Bill of Rights, and an attack on your personal freedoms, your financials, and your family, not to mention your faith. Or if you just want to say, you guys do whatever you want, and we'll go do whatever we want, and, you know, happy, happy, happy. But first, let's start with a quote from the founders. How about Alexander Hamilton, quite apropos, I think, to this show and the last few. Quote, give all the power to the many, they will oppress the few. Give all the power to the few, they will oppress the many. Unquote. You know, it's amazing how things, no matter how much they change, they stay the same. Then we have our ranch story today. Uh, It's not a particularly happy one. We have this great reservoir up in the upper ranches, which we can only reach usually about five months a year. This year, (laughs) we didn't get up there until literally several days ago. We tried at the very end of April and uh, wound up winching ourselves out four times and three feet of snow still on the road. That was a disaster. But one of the things we've tried to do with this reservoir, because it's perfect for it, is to stock it with fish. In the beginnings, we just stocked a small number of fish, and unfortunately, the intermittent stream up there decided to be intermittent. This deprived them of oxygen, and they died. So we put up a windmill, 16-foot tower, blades turning, bubbles coming out of the aerators. It was perfect. We put in some test fish. They did great. So we put in a few more fish, but still kind of tentative. And then when we finally got up there, this was last year after a winter. Well, the winds, and trust me, the winds blow up there, had blown the tower down. Oh, terrific. Which meant there was no oxygen in the water under the ice, which meant the fish suffocated, which meant start over again. So we cut the tower down to 12 feet instead of 16 feet put it up, tethered it in all sorts of manners and ways, and I was pretty confident that it would withstand whatever winds Mother Nature threw at it. Well, this year, as we finally get up there several days ago, through the aspens on this rather primitive access road, I see the tower. 
and I'm all happy. Wow, it's withstood the winds. But we come to find out as we grow closer and closer that the windmill assembly itself and its tail got blown off the tower. That's right. The tail is a mangled piece of mess. Had to be 100 mile an hour plus winds. The result is last year when everything was working right, we had done a proper stocking of fish and the fishing was fabulous. But here we are the third time, an unforeseen event we had never expected And what are we going to do? Well, you know, we're going to repair the windmill, reattach the hoses to the aerators, and we're going to put a little solar deal up there with a little generator that's going to power an alternative, a backup aerator through solar power. And then we're going to go through the same rigmarole. We're going to test it with a few fish, see how it works, and then hopefully we'll be able to stock it properly and the fish will survive from here on in. In the meantime, it's a rather expensive, highly disappointing. I really don't like to see natural resource projects not work. And it's pretty unusual given all the experience that we have doing this stuff. But, you know, it can happen. And what's the moral of this story? If you don't succeed at first, try, try again. And no matter how much experience you think you have, something will come up to teach you yet a new empirical experience. Let's talk about the history of immigration. This is very brief. I'm just going to hit the high points because you could spend a hundred shows on United States immigration. But in January 1776, Thomas Paine published that pamphlet, Common Sense. And Paine beat the drums. He made the case for a new type of person on the planet, an American, a kind of a conglomeration of Europeans and not just England as the parent company that would attract people who were looking for opportunity, who were looking for freedom, particularly religious freedom. In March of 1790, Congress passed the first law about who should be granted U.S. citizenship. The Naturalization Act of 1790 allowed, quote, any free white person of good character who had been living in the United States for two years or longer to apply for citizenship. Now, it's interesting to note, this did not apply to non-white residents. And without citizenship, those non-white residents were denied basic constitutional protections, including the right to vote, own property, or testify in court. In August of 1790, the first U.S. census takes place, and we find that the English are the largest ethnic group amongst the 3.9 million people that then comprised the United States, or should I say, the successors to the colonies. At that time, it's interesting to note that about one in five quote-unquote Americans were non-white. In 1815, peace is reestablished between the United States and Great Britain after the War of 1812, and immigration from Western Europe goes from a trickle to a gusher. This shifted the demographics of the United States, kind of like what they're trying to do right now, folks. We're going to be talking about that. This second wave of immigration lasts until the Civil War. From about 1850 to about 1880, the Irish, many of them Catholic, account for an estimated one-third of all immigrants to the United States. In addition, five million German immigrants come to the United States, many of them settling in the Midwest, bought farms, settled in the cities, started businesses. In 1819, we experienced the first real immigration crisis. So a lot of the newcomers that were coming, they arrived sick, they're dying from diseases and the long journey across the Atlantic. And the immigrants overwhelmed the port cities, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Charleston. So the United States passed what was called the Steerage Act of 1819, requiring better conditions on ships 
that were arriving to the country. And for the first time, the act required ship captains to submit demographic information on passengers. So this is the first federal records on the ethnic composition of immigrants to the United States. In 1849, America's first non-immigrant, anti-immigrant political party, which was called the Know-Nothing Party, interesting, forms as a backlash to the increasing number of German and Irish immigrants that are coming in in this next wave. In 1875, this is after the Civil War, some states start passing their own immigration laws, which precipitated this legal battle which went to the Supreme Court. And in 1875, the Supreme Court declared that it's the responsibility of the federal government to make and enforce immigration laws. In a much bigger context, think divorce. What happens when the federal government doesn't perform its constitutional function. Hmm, we're going to get into that. Then in 1880, we had the Chinese Exclusion Act. So America's like in the middle of the beginnings of industrialization, urbanization. There's a second immigration boom. And between 1880 and 1920, 20 million immigrants arrive. Most of them are from Southern, Eastern, and Central Europe. 4 million Italians, 2 million Jews. And many of them settle in major U.S. cities and work in factories. But in 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act passes. This bars Chinese immigrants from entering the United States. Because beginning in the 1850s, with the advent of the railroads, the beginnings of gold mining, the beginnings of garment factories, many Chinese were attracted to the United States and many came. And as more and more Chinese immigrants came, there was more and more resentment. Even though they made up only kind of a tiny percentage of the population, like two-tenths of a percent, they were blamed by many for low wages in the Industrial Revolution, so to speak, that was taking place. In 1891, the Immigration Act of 1891 is passed. It further excludes who can enter the United States. It bars the immigration of polygamists. I don't think they had transgenders then. People convicted of certain crimes and the sick or diseased. The act, kind of a a Title 42 way back when. The act also created a Federal Office of Immigration. Oh, here we go with an agency to coordinate immigration enforcement. And it began kind of the precursor to ICE by establishing a corps of immigration inspectors, which were stationed at the kind of principal ports of entry around the country. In January of 1892, Ellis Island, which everybody is kind of familiar with, opened. And that was the first real organized and complete immigration station. It opened in New York Harbor. Prior to then, most immigrants from Europe, not all, but many, went to New York, but they immigrated to a place called Castle Garden. In the end, more than 12 million immigrants entered the United States through Ellis Island between 1892 and 1954. In 1907, excluding the current times, folks, U.S. immigration peaked. 1.3 million people entered the country in 1907. Now think about that. What's happening on the southern border? We're up to like 3 million a year. Oh, okay. In February of 1907, there was immigration laws passed, primarily driven by California, of all places, against the influx of Japanese workers that were beginning to come in. Once again, the argument was they were taking farming jobs, they were depressing wages, they were taking uh, positions of Americans, etc., etc., etc. And Theodore Roosevelt, in return for urging San Francisco to end the segregation of Japanese students from white students in San Francisco schools, 
got Japan to agree to what was called the Gentleman's Agreement, wherein Japan was going to limit Japanese immigration to the United States to certain categories of just businessmen and professionals. And then in 1917, we have more restrictions in immigration. The Immigration Act of 1917 established a literacy requirement, <laughs> good idea, and halted immigration for most Asian countries. And in May of 1924, the Immigration Act of 1924 limited the number of immigrants that were allowed in the United States on any annual basis under our nationality quota. What's kind of interesting, this quota system that developed then, immigration visas could only be issued for up to 2% of the total number of people of each nationality in the United States in the 1890 census. So what that really did, the law kind of tailored immigration from northern and western European countries because that was the primary thread of American population at that time. In fact, three countries, Great Britain, Ireland, and Germany, accounted for 70% of all the available visas. It's interesting to note that this law completely excluded immigrants from Asia, except for the Philippines, which at that time was an American colony. And then World War II comes along. So huge labor shortages, right? Everybody's over the pond fighting the war. And the United States and Mexico formed what was called the Bracero Program. That allowed Mexican agricultural workers to enter the United States temporarily. And the program went all the way to 1964, by the way. In 1948, the U.S. passed the nation's first refugee and resettlement law to deal with all the Europeans that were seeking permanent residence in the United States after the devastation of World War II in Europe. In 1952, the McCarran-Walter Act ends the exclusion of Asian immigrants to the United States. From 1956 to 1957, the United States admits roughly 38,000 immigrants from Hungary, and that was after the failed uprising against the Soviet Union back there in those days. And they were the very first Cold War refugees. They would be followed by millions more. In the end, over 3 million refugees from the Cold War antics of the superpowers. The quota system that had been in effect for almost 100 years ends in 1965. The Immigration and Nationality Act right, completely overhauls the United States immigration system. Instead, the quota system is replaced with seven category preference items, kind of a new system. It emphasized family reunification, skilled immigrants, self-supporting immigrants, etc. At that time, the Vietnam War was like in full-fledged nonsense. So quite understandably, where did most of the immigrants for the next five years come from? Asia, particularly Vietnam and Cambodia. In fact, Immigration from those two countries quadrupled in that five-year period. And it was during this time that family reunification, kind of as a foundational basis for immigration, really took root. And, you know, you've heard those words now, folks, right? You know, you get an anchor baby, and then you have to reunify with the parents who are foreign nationals, etc., etc. This goes back to LBJ. Oh, a Democrat's time in office. From April to October 1980, there was this huge boat lift. It was called the Mariel Boat Lift. 125,000 Cuban refugees make a very dangerous crossing in very overcrowded boats to arrive on the Florida shore seeking political asylum.
Let's talk about your family's safety. If you listen to this show, you know our aging power grid is more vulnerable than ever. There's been 70 physical attacks on grid stations and countless cyber attacks in the last year. Imagine a blackout lasting days, weeks, months. Look around your house. Water, refrigeration, heat, light would be poof. That's why having your own portable solar power and not relying on a government grid is critical. With a Patriot Power Sidekick from 4Patriots, you get a solar generator that's quick, easy, portable, on the go, or even inside. And though only the size of a lunchbox, it's powerful. It'll power your phones, your medical devices, even a mini fridge. A free solar panel, free shipping, and a practically unheard of 365-day satisfaction guarantee. You can get 10% off your purchase using the code RIGHTSIDE at checkout. 4Patriots.com. Use the code RIGHTSIDE. Get 10% off. 4Patriots.com. Protect you. Protect your family. In 1986, based on the Democrats' promise to pass comprehensive immigration reform, to limit immigration, and to not try and get citizenship other than through normal processes for immigrants, Reagan, duped by the Democratic Marxists, signs into law the Simpson-Mazzoli Act. Basically, it granted amnesty to three million immigrants at that time illegally in the United States. Right now, folks are figuring, don't even count what's going on at the border the last two years, somewhere between 15 million on the very low and 30 million on the high illegal aliens in the United States. In 2001, Senators Dick Durbin, you know, one of the real shills for open borders, and Orrin Hatch, unfortunately a Republican from Utah, proposed the first, it was called the Development, Relief, and Education of Alien Minors, or the DREAM Act. That's where that comes from. And that would provide a pathway to legal status, not citizenship, for what was called the DREAMers, undocumented Immigrants brought to the United States illegally by their parents as children. And then, of course, in 2012, with his pen and his phone, after acknowledging the unconstitutionality of his actions, Barack Obama, who we're going to be talking about here in the rest of the story, signs the Deferred Act for Childhood Arrivals DACA program. It doesn't provide a path to citizenship. He figured he'd get that done later. Maybe in his third term through Joe Biden. But it shields the dreamers from deportation. And then, of course, from 2016 to 2020, Donald Trump cut the immigration way down. You're familiar with all that. I'm not going to waste your time here. But in the context of one of our rat-a-tat-tat stories, the latest and greatest from our terrific Justice Department, it's interesting to know that in April 2018, remember the travel restrictions he placed on the terrorist countries and everybody accused him of xenophobia toward Arabs, etc., etc.? The travel restrictions were upheld on those seven countries by the United States Supreme Court. And Chad, the only one of the seven to have those restrictions lifted, that happened in June of 2018. And of course, that brings us to today. And it brings us to how did we get to today? Well, the rest of the story, folks, is it began with the election of Barack Hussein Obama. And the rest of the story is why all this is happening on the borders, at both northern and southern borders. Is it incompetence? Is it a lack of caring? Is it a lack of understanding? No, it's intentional. And it began with Barack Hussein Obama in 2009. Remember his words? We're going to fundamentally change the United States of America. That was his exact words. Well, there is no better way to change a country than demographics and finances 
and dependency. There was an article by Wayne Root. In fact, I interviewed him on this radio show a number of years ago. He's a conservative commentator, former classmate of Barack Obama at Columbia University. Oh, good old Columbia University. And he postulates, and I agree with him, that this is a deliberate plan to destroy America as we know it, fundamentally change the country. The two radical professors there, Richard Cloward and Francis Fox Piven, I've talked to you about the Cloward and Piven thesis before. They were professors to Barack Hussein Obama. He was one of their students. He's been implementing their plan since he became president in 2009, and now he's in his third term. And in the rat-a-tat-tat, you'll learn that he's been a partner in crime with the Biden crime family since the get-go. Let me give you some examples. Creating a humanitarian crisis at the southern border by literally inviting, never mind their nonsense, look at what they do, millions of illegal immigrants to enter the country and then offering them free health care, free phones, education, housing, food stamps, and other benefits. We're going to talk about some of those in the rat-a-tat-tat. Expanding the welfare state by giving out stimulus checks, unemployment benefits, child tax credits, and other payments to millions of Americans who are not working or even looking for work. Increasing the national debt. We've talked about that incessantly. Listen to my history of money, of the Federal Reserve. Listen to last week's show. By spending trillions of dollars on quote-unquote infrastructure, which never occurred. Climate change, social justice, other progressive agenda items. How about Ukraine? That have nothing to do with the supposed COVID stimulus, which is, of course, the guise that they used. Raising taxes on businesses and individuals, particularly the wealthy and the middle class, to pay for this massive, wasteful, non-productive spending spree. And then destroying the energy sector by canceling pipelines, banning fracking, imposing regulations, subsidizing green energy sources that are, let's face it folks, unreliable, expensive, and since they're generated by electricity, how do you think you charge your EVs? Nonsensical. And of course, that creates greater expense, which creates inflation, which also digs into the pockets of all Americans, but particularly the wealthy and the middle class. And then weakening the military, cutting defense spending, purging patriotic officers, promoting woke ideology, appeasing foreign enemies like China, Iran, and Russia, failing to invest in updated weapons and nuclear deterrents. Spreading the military out all over the globe. I mean, the first lesson in military is you amass your forces. The Cloward and Piven plan is how you take down a republic, how you take down a capitalist society by overburdening it financially with entitlements and all this other nonsense. And this is by design. It is designed to create chaos. Let's use Biden's own words about the border. Misery, poverty, dependence amongst the American people. And the result is, and it is the goal, so that the American people lose their freedom, their sovereignty, and they beg for government intervention. I mean, just look at history. Now, one of the questions you need to ask yourself is, do you really want to fight all this nonsense? Or do you just want to say, look, you know, if you want open borders in your newly formed or remaining, however it's going to work, 14 blue states, great. If you want to be a sanctuary country, terrific. If you want higher taxes, you want to spend uh, money on boondoggles, go right ahead. But it won't be with our currency. It won't be through our our central bank. It won't be via our military. And by our, I mean the divorce states, the 26 red states. Very briefly, let's just touch on a couple of things 
that would have to happen. We're going to be going over a few every single week so that you better understand that this is physically possible, financially inevitable, and doable. Remember that article that I read to you? I think it was two weeks ago. We simply have to have the will and pursue it. Let's talk first about how the government would be set up. I suggest we literally mimic the current federal government, but without the agencies. We don't need the agencies. We need a representative republic, exactly as America was designed from day one. We don't need 41 federal agencies and hundreds of sub-agencies with unelected bureaucrats telling us what type of gas stoves, washers and dryers, etc. that we need to have. So once you know the outline of the government, it gets rather easy because every one of the red states that form the new republic or the continuing United States, however that works, they have their congressmen. They have their senators. I mean, these people are elected and in place, ready to step into the republic, the unburdened American republic. What about the financial aspects of a divorce? Well, look, there's lots of details. In a very big picture, and the details can be worked out by folks far smarter than your hayseed here. But in the very big picture, either we keep the dollar and we back it with natural gas reserves and gold so that we can effectively compete with the BRICS countries, which are growing more powerful by the day. Or we have a new currency also backed by physical assets, gold, natural gas, whatever it happens to be. An asset-based currency. If we don't keep the dollar and they keep the dollar, whatever. Maybe the new dollar can be called the red cent or something like that. But the basis of a sound financial system is a sound currency. And the basis of a sound currency is that it's backed by real assets. And if it is, that automatically limits spending. It automatically limits the direction that monies can go or, as is currently happening, be wasted. Do you understand how many hundreds of billions of dollars are coming out of the pocket of American taxpayers for this illegal immigration? From the enforcement end, which is a joke, to all the goodies that are being given the illegals, to the health care services, to the educational services, I mean, I can go on down the list. Hundreds of billions of dollars. The banking system, which of course would be the beneficiaries of a sound currency as well as the people of the new or replacement republic, could be built from the ground up with proper regulations and proper safeguards. Existing banks from the remaining states or the remaining country, however you want to look at this, would be free to operate within the new borders. But let's face it, money flows to safe places. If the new banking system is safe, if it's well regulated, if the currency that is traded between banks and people is backed by assets, eventually the remaining banks from the old or new republic, once again, whichever form the divorce takes, will eventually filter back to the 14 blue states. They're not going to want to work in this much more fair and fiscally sound environment. Are these big picture thoughts that I'm sharing with you? You bet. The devil's always in the detail, but you know, you have to start somewhere. The only horse you'll know you'll never ride is the one you don't throw the saddle on. And by God, it's about time that we saddle up and extricate ourselves from this intentional mess in the border, in the financial system, internationally, domestically, wokeism, militarily, you name it. More on specific matters, such as education, governance, elections, next week. But for now, let's get into rat-a-tat-tat, because boy, do I have a pile of rat-a-tat-tat to share with you. And since we had our little history lesson on immigration, let's start some rat-a-tat-tat with 
should we say, current immigration history. Did you know that Biden is going to open up Medicaid to about 700,000 immigrants? Oh, well, that's good. Did you know that every immigrant or every immigrant they catch who's crossing the border is being given free cell phones? And did you know that they'll be given notices to appear in immigration court, which is kind of required under the law and the Constitution? 12 years out, folks. 12 years out. And now, additionally, California, oh, good old California, they're talking about giving illegal immigrants, illegal aliens who are not working, unemployment checks. I'm not making this up. Yep. Cross the border, get your cell phone, get your health care taken care of, your education taken care of, and now you can get an unemployment check. $300 a week is what California is talking about, 1200 bucks a month. Multiply $14,400 a year for each illegal alien times the almost 6 million now that have come across the border, never mind the ones already here. Cloward and Piven? Anyone? Is this the Cloward and Piven plan? You bet it is. Divorce anyone? Oh, please, let's speed it up. And along these lines, of course, the progressives, the Democratic Marxists, talk about the environment, and they talk about energy usage, and they talk about conservation. Well, now, folks, what does 30 million illegal aliens do to all those things in this country? What does 3 or 4 million illegal aliens per year pouring across the border do to all those things? They, they don't use fuel. They don't eat food. They don't poop and go to the bathroom. They don't breathe. Really? You can see the shallow hypocrisy in all this, which once again supports the position that this is on purpose. This is not an accident. This is, except for really in the ozone lefties, not a matter of compassion. In fact, it is a matter of anti-compassion to the existing American population. Did you know that in New York, you know, the sanctuary city, well, now they don't want to be a sanctuary city anymore. And they're taking gymnasiums in high schools. I'm not making this up. And they're housing illegal aliens in them. Do I need to say the parents are a little pissed off? Yeah, mildly. And in addition, they're kicking homeless veterans in state programs out of hotels, out of temporary housing, and putting illegal aliens in them. Does this sound like compassion to you? And at what cost? Huh. Hundreds upon hundreds of millions in that one state. And who's paying? Oh, that's right. Those taxpayers that Cloward and Piven taught Obama need to be beat into the dirt so that they become dependent. And what about all the hue and cry and the hand-wringing over the shortage of housing everywhere? Oh, we're just short of housing. We just need more houses. We need more of this. We need more of that. You know, it's really interesting. But Americans' views of the housing market have kind of plunged as interest rates rise and as, when we say, the truth becomes more apparent to more folks. Only 21% of Americans, and this is based on a Gallup poll, by the way, think that now is a good time to buy a house. That's down nine points from the same time last year. And this year and last year, during Cadaver's administration, or Obama's third term, these are the only two times that fewer then half of Americans said it was a good time to buy a house since this poll started to be conducted in 1978. In fact, Gallup first asked Americans about their perceptions of the housing market in 1978. 53% thought it was a good time to buy. 13 years later, when asked again, 67% thought it was a good time to buy. The record high of 81% was recorded in 2003. And last time I checked, illegal aliens have to live somewhere, so what is this doing to that 
housing shortage that the left is wringing their hands over. Exactly how many houses, how many dwellings will 30 million illegal aliens inhabit? How many will they take up? How many will 3 or 4 million new illegal aliens every year? What are they going to require? Who's getting displaced? And it's really interesting, but you know, the chaos that the Cloward and Piven theory that Obama promoted from day one, the chaos is the same words that Joe Biden used in a kind of impromptu, he got caught by the press at Westchester County Airport a few days ago, White Plains, New York. Quote, well, we've had chaos at the border for a number of years, unquote. We have to fully fund the border security effort, unquote. Well, the reality is, folks, they've told the Border Patrol to stand down and to be immigration welcomers, you know, process the paperwork and let them come in. And then they sent 1,500 Marines down and the Democrats tried to play it like, Oh, this is about border security. No, it's not. It's about 1,500 more pairs of hands, Marines, in the middle of all this international tension that we have, doing paperwork to process and admit illegal aliens surging across the border. By the way, along the way, he blamed Republicans for literally refusing to act on immigration. In the meantime, the Republicans, they passed a major border bill. Whether or not it gets through the Senate, who knows? But Biden has already said he's going to veto it. So on one hand, this is the typical Marxist sleight of hand. He's saying, that other side, those, those GOP dogs, they haven't done anything. And then when they do something, he says, I'm going to veto it. Okay. Now, does that sound like a mistake or does that sound intentional to you? Remember the rest of the story. And he went on to say, what we want to do at the border is have it work and function in the way it's designed to work. Well, in their minds, it's designed to work basically to be open. And that requires us having more immigration officers, more asylum judges, a whole range of things like more personnel. And I'm trying to do as much of that as I can. You bet, cadaver. I mean, Obama. I mean, cadaver. And all these more people, what does that do to the financial system? Aren't they all getting paid salaries? Don't they all get pensions? Doesn't that put further strain on the $31.5 trillion in debt we already have? You bet it does. Remember the Cloward-Piven theory? In other news, a Pennsylvania high school, this is unbelievable, requires an 11th grade boy to undress with girls to, quote, promote tolerance, unquote. Not, not making this up, folks. He and his parents have filed a lawsuit against this high school, which is the Boyertown Area School District in Boyertown, Pennsylvania. And to get even further into the story, this all started when a biological female student claiming to be a transgender boy began undressing next to him in a school locker room. Boy, here we are back to the tail wagging the dog. And do you remember when we were promised by Cadaver and all his agency henchmen that they would never take away your gas stoves? Well, in fact, what they're doing is taking away gas hookups. So you can still get a gas stove, although subject to all the new regulations that EPA is, you know, punching out like on the hour. Except you can't get a gas hookup if you're in New York and other locations around the country. And despite court rulings saying that this is unconstitutional to withhold, you can't get a gas hookup to run your gas stove. Do you remember Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer? He's been telling us for months there's nothing for people to worry about. He's from New York, by the way, the same state that just banned gas stoves last week. And he put out a tweet in February that nobody quote, nobody would be taking away your gas stove, unquote, and that all the hoopla was just a distraction from the real issues that the nation was facing. 
The New York ban on gas hookups, by the way, is in all future small buildings by 2025 and larger buildings by 2028. Last time I checked, that's like right around the corner. Now, do you want to deal with this kind of stuff or do you want to go your own way with a government that says natural gas is a good thing? Let me bring you up to speed real quick on these bank failures. What you didn't know, this is another little tidbit. Listen to my history lessons on banking, the Federal Reserve, money, you name it, over the last several weeks. On the right side, radio.com. J.P. Morgan could have bought First Republic before it went under. But, number one, there's like a loophole in banking policy. So the FDIC legally can't prevent a bank collapse. They can only cover a bank when it's already failed. So this is kind of a system of perverse incentive, right? Potential buyers of a troubled bank have every reason to wait until it fails, and the taxpayers are writing checks, then step in and try to save it. For instance, J.P. Morgan buying First Republic. I mean, it was an unbelievably great deal for J.P. Morgan, and an unbelievably bad deal for the taxpayer. Cloud and Piven, anyone? By waiting until First Republic collapsed, J.P. Morgan was shielded by the FDIC because the FDIC, the taxpayers, absorbed all of First Republic's losses. Then, FDIC, in addition to that, paid J.P. Morgan $13 billion, that's $13 billion of your tax money, folks, to take over First Republic. And last, J.P. Morgan, by writing a check of slightly over $2 billion, that's two, one, two billion dollars, picked up $92 billion in new assets. Kind of a great day for J.P. Morgan and a really bad day for the taxpayer, don't you think? And they lie to you about it. Do you want to deal with these lies, folks, or do, you, do we want to move to a more peaceful and truthful environment? And listen, tying right in with the immigration theme today and the cloward and pivot theory of creating chaos and terror and fear so that people are dependent. The Justice Department just came out with a new anti-discrimination policy. This would restrict law enforcement, like the FBI, we're going to talk about them in a minute, to penetrate terrorist organizations and thwart terrorist threats. Oh, what could go wrong here? This is through a new anti-discrimination policy, you know, DEI, folks, diversity, equity, inclusion, and it limits what law enforcement can do in the use of quote-unquote protected traits. Here's a new term for you, a new progressive term. Protected traits is, you know, you're from the Middle East, you're Arab, you're Chinese, you're whatever. You belong to some major group who has elements within it who are enemies of the United States. Even though under this government, the greatest enemy of the United States, according to the government, is quote-unquote white supremacists. <laughs> okay, well, there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah, like maybe, I don't know, 50 in Mississippi or somewhere. Basically, this new guideline ties law enforcement's hands in terms of applying suspect-specific information. You know, you're from Afghanistan and you were a member of ISIS and you are an Arab, but we can't go there. And they can no longer use sources that belong to the same ethnic group to learn about a terrorist organization. I want you to think about that. I guess if you want to learn about Al-Qaeda or ISIS and what they have planned, you need to go to a a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant football coach in Indiana. Oh, that's, this makes a lot of sense. In addition, law enforcement can no longer take ethnicity, you know, a group, into account just 
and even locating sources for information on overseas terrorist organizations. I want you to know that even in circumstances where a law enforcement agent has received information, let's say, about a bomb threat and has to act fast to save lives and damage and obtain more information to prevent the assault, police are not permitted to depend on genetic stereotypes. Only the left, folks, can depend on genetic stereotypes. You know, you're white, you have a job, you pay taxes, you're an enemy of the state, you are the target of Obama's cloward Piven theory. Once again, is this something you really want to deal with? You want these bureaucrats putting DEI ahead of the safety of you and your family? Can we spell divorce? And kind of a little funny twist, by the way, you know, all the reparations out there in California, which, by the way, now has a annual budget deficit that has climbed from 27 to $31 billion. But they're going to do unemployment for illegal aliens, folks. But, you know, the $800 billion that the reparations committees said really needs to happen out there, Gavin Newsom, progressive monkey muck that he is, has no comment on that. He's just kind of ignoring it, hoping it'll go away, no doubt. Instead, he gave this mealy-mouthed statement when he was questioned about it. You know, they're very good at that. Quote, he is in favor of bipartisan attempts to promote healing and justice, unquote. And then, of course, we have the Biden and overall federal government corruption stories. First of all, the Durham report came out. I mean, unbelievable stuff in this report. All of it we kind of knew, but this gives it uh, the blessing of reality. Did you know that Brennan, Obama, our buddy, and Biden were all part of the Trump-Russia scheme? They all knew about it. They all took steps to foster it. They took steps to hide their involvement in it. Did you know that there was a foreign government that planned to donate money to Hillary Clinton, (laughs) dirty Hillary, in exchange for protection when she became president? And did you know that the Department of Justice has pulled or disbanded, Congress can't seem to get the answers, the investigative task force that's been working on Hunter Biden's tax fraud and other crimes? And they can't say whether they pulled it, they changed it or whatever, but a whistleblower has come forward that he and his team who were the lead team in these investigations, have been purged from the Hunter Biden case. And the IRS, by the way, says we don't have any comment. Hmm, that's rather suspicious. The New York Post published this story. Remember that all these rat-a-tat-tat stories, you can read in depth. Even these little tidbits I'm giving you, you can read the whole story and they should be read. Under rat-a-tat-tat, treason, corruption, immigration, whatever the topic may be. And by the way, it seems that communications from the laptop, you know, the Russian disinformation laptop, that Brennan, as an aside, has admitted the letter, you know, signed by the 51 Intel folks, saying this is Russian disinformation, it's just totally false. He has admitted that that letter was totally politically inspired and that he was a willing participant in it. Who is Brennan appointed by? Oh, that's right, Barack Obama. And it seems that there's also a document that has come up having to do with specific bribery, bribery attempts or actual bribery by Joe Biden, not Hunter, not the other seven family members who were caught up in this crime syndicate, but by Joe Biden. And the FBI actually did an investigation on it, and they have evidence. But you know what's going on? When Congress, Comer, the committee that's investigating this, asked for the information, the FBI has refused to provide it. Hmm. Thumb your nose at the Constitution. Thumb your nose at the rule of law. Thumb your nose at the equal application of law. Thumb your nose at the security of the United States. There's no greater threat to security than a compromised president, folks. 
And of course, this is in rank and file FBI. There's been, I believe, 27 agents which have gone to Congress with all sorts of tales. I think one of them called FBI leadership rotten to the core and should be removed immediately. This goes to the higher echelons of the FBI, all of whom were appointed by Barack Obama or Joseph Biden. By the way, for bringing all this to the forefront, the Washington Post, which is an excellent online paper, you should read it, was barred by President Cadaver from a White House press briefing on Wednesday. You know, if you're going to talk about my crimes, then you can't attend my press conferences. Misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, and suppression of information, anyone? You want to deal with this, folks? Or do you want to go your own way? The Durham report was also really clear that the FBI basically executed a politically motivated investigation against Trump. And it was at the behest of his political rival, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. Here's a couple of quotes relative to the FBI. And once again, we're not talking rank and file. We're talking about the high mucky mucks, the Strocks, the Bakers, the Comeys, the Rays, that outfit. Here's some quotes from Durham's report. Quote, failed to uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law. Unquote. That's kind of scary for a law enforcement agency. Quote, displayed a serious lack of analytical rigor toward the information they received, especially information received from politically affiliated persons and entities. Unquote. Here's another one for you. Quote, neither U.S. law enforcement nor the intelligence community appears to have possessed any actual evidence of collusion in their holdings at the commencement of the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Unquote. And to add insult to injury, folks, Durham did not bring any indictments because the three that he brought were thrown out by Washington, D.C. progressive Marxist juries and undermined by, shall we say, leaning left judges. How's that? Once again, do you want to try and fix this equality of justice huge problem we have in this country? Or do you, would you rather just opt out, form a new justice system, or take the old one and completely reform it within the boundaries of an existing rewrited United States or a new quote-unquote United States. When you start looking at all these complex areas, and I mean the list is almost endless, I think it's a lot easier to start fresh than it is to try and fix the problems that have been intentionally created, intentionally manufactured, and intentionally fostered and strengthened. Don't you? But right now, we're out of time. As always, look in the mirror. Think about divorce. <laughs> you know, please do think about divorce and repeat after me with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and across the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Thanks for listening. Keep the wind at your back. We'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.